business rock stars. Kelly Kennedy here. And today I wanted to introduce you to my business, Capital Business Development, where we don't just see businesses. We see your potential to change the world. We see your passion, your dedication, and drive to do something extraordinary. And we're here to help you bring that vision to life. At Capital Business Development, we understand that behind every business is a visionary, someone with the determination to make a difference. Whether you're a startup with a big idea or an established company aiming to expand your impact, we're here to support you every step of the way. Our mission goes beyond traditional business development. We're committed to nurturing your dreams and empowering you to achieve greatness. From strategic planning and networking to hands-on support and personalized coaching, we provide the tools and guidance you need to succeed. So if you're ready to transform your vision into reality, look no further than Capital Business Development. Visit us today at www.capitalbd.ca to learn more about how we can help you unleash your potential to change the world. Your dreams matter. Let's make them happen together. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Welcome to episode 86 of the Business Development Podcast. And if you've ever had questions regarding cryptocurrency, Bitcoin specifically, we have Adam O'Brien, founder and CEO of Bitcoin Well, right here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Stick with us. Today's show is pretty awesome. The great Mark Cuban once said, business happens over years and years. Value is measured in the total upside of a business relationship, not by how much you squeezed out in any one deal. And we couldn't agree more. This is the Business Development Podcast, based in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and broadcasting to the world. You'll get expert business development advice, tips and experiences, and you'll hear interviews with business owners, CEOs, and business development reps. You'll get actionable advice on how to grow business. Brought to you by Capital Business Development, capitalbd.ca. Let's do it. Welcome to the Business Development Podcast. And now your expert host, Kelly Kennedy. Hello, welcome to episode 86 of the Business Development Podcast. And on today's show, I am absolutely excited to have an amazing founder and CEO story, local legend right here in Edmonton, Adam O'Brien. Meet Adam O'Brien, a pioneering force in the world of Bitcoin. With unwavering dedication, he's on a mission to revolutionize the way that we acquire and utilize Bitcoin. In 2013, Adam laid the cornerstone for what has blossomed into Bitcoin Well, Canada's leading Bitcoin company. With an extensive network of over 180 Bitcoin ATMs spanning the nation and an innovative online portal, Bitcoin Well offers notably the swiftest and also the safest means to buy and sell Bitcoin. In 2021, history was made when Bitcoin Well became the world's first non-custodial Bitcoin business to go public, a testament to Adam's forward-thinking leadership. As the CEO of Bitcoin Well, he is not just an industry leader. He is the true visionary dedicated to empowering individuals with financial independence through the transformative potential of cryptocurrency. Join Adam O'Brien on a remarkable journey into the ever-evolving landscape of Bitcoin. Discover innovation, embrace financial independence, and embark on the path to reimagined future of finance. Adam, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. 
wow, man, I need you to follow me around and just like <laughs> whisper sweet nothings into my ear like that. Holy smokes. <laughs> You know, I say it all the time. We have amazing guests on this show. And uh, yeah, you're, you're not disappointing. <laughs> Dude, well, thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, it's an honor to be here. A uh, couple of couple of Edmonton boys just uh, just hanging out. It's uh, yeah, man. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, dude. Edmonton is such a cool place. We're, we're so fortunate to be here. I know some people think of Edmonton like, ah, oh, they get snow like six months a year and the Oilers <laughs> don't win all the time. And Edmonton from like a business standpoint is truly just a massive, massive powerhouse hub of Canada. Yeah, it punches well above its weight. It's actually quite fascinating to hear some of the local success stories. Um, I think one of the biggest things that sets Edmonton apart from everything else is just the humility that exists in this city. It really is a place where you can rub shoulders with, you know, some serious individuals and they're going to give you the time of day. They're not too good for you. Um, you know, that's been a big part of like me. I've been able to be mentored and, and, and have the opportunity to work with and learn from uh, people that have done it, you know, done it all before. It's been such a blessing. Yeah, dude, me too. Me too. And you know what, even in those like meetings that have been really hard, like for instance, uh, I had I had a local success story entrepreneur who we did a proposal for. And he's like, and this was like, this is a little bit hurting to my ego a little bit. But he's like, Kelly, we're going for lunch. I'm going to tell you exactly why I did not buy your proposal so that you can do it better and then pitch me again down the line. <laughs> dude, but 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 how good is that? Like totally. that level of humility, not just like a ghost, not just a hard no, like, yeah. no, here's why. Here's how yeah. you improve. I feel like Edmontonians, especially, they really care about building up the next generation, so to speak. Yeah. And it's so cool. Yeah, it was one of those like really, really hard. And I talk about this in my show all the time that like marketing your own business is one of the hardest things that any entrepreneur yeah. does. And it's like, I, I literally recommend that like, if you can have someone else do it for you, that's better just because we're so invested in our businesses that having that conversation is such a hard one. But I learned so much from it. We went back to the drawing board, we revamped it. And now we have a much better model than we had before. And I wouldn't have had it without that like hard, hard lesson or that like hard help. But For the, sure. fact that, the fact that it wasn't just a no, it was a no. And here's why and here's how you can do better. And here's what we would have bought. Man, like who does yeah. that? And you don't I'm, see that very often. I'm part of a group called I'm YEG. And uh, or I it's called I am YEG, I guess. And the the premise is exactly that it's it's, it's pre it's it's businesses or I guess more so ideas that are pre business, you know, oftentimes like the one that I'm, I'm working with right now, not, not even incorporated, like just an idea and maybe something of a, of a pre-business product. And they go through this accelerator type of program where, you know, usually four or five people like myself will kind of understand their business. You know, what are your problems? What are you doing? And then at the end of it, it's like, hey, this is a viable business. You should quit your job and pursue. Or it's like, no, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is not going to work like, and, and do what you're going to do. But, but like, we're not an investment club. We're nothing other than just, you know, sometimes a difficult conversation from, from change or from, from success. And that truth is so hard to find sometimes. Like, yeah, we're not really set up to, to get that truth. Like even from a young age and, and what we teach kids early on, we don't really encourage our teachers. We don't encourage our sports coaches. We don't encourage our peers to give us tough feedback. And, and we're not prepared early on to accept the difficult but necessary feedback to make us tough. One thing 
like we were talking about about kids earlier i have a seven-year-old son and from the time he turned four if you asked him what do hard times create he would say strong men and then he'd know that strong men create good times and that good times create weak men and that weak men makes hard times <laughs> and 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 we go through the cycle and now my daughter who's who's a little bit older now she you know she knows it's it's men and women and and, yeah. and, and et cetera et cetera et cetera and it's it's so important that we ingrain that into our children at hard age hey hard times are not to be ran from we have to run towards the hard times get uncomfortable so that we can grow yeah it's like in the good times we're like oh it's good we don't need to look at that totally. <laughs> like, totally. you don't learn the you don't learn the big lessons in the good times you know right. oh, good you times learn. make weak men like yeah you learn them in the that's hard just times. how it works it's it's physics the same way if you drop a rock from you know the top of a building it's going to hurt someone like hard times make strong men and good times make weak men <laughs> yeah, totally totally oh man like you know i've enjoyed every conversation we've had especially even coming into this you know in our initial kind of introduction meeting and everything i was really looking forward to this meeting adam i you know what i mean the reality is i've been hearing you on the radio in edmonton since shit <laughs> like in some levels the beginning of my bd career <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy to think that bitcoin well is actually that old yeah, man, 10 years. We've been around for 10 years. I've been the crazy guy talking about Bitcoin at family <laughs> dinner and uh, <laughs> and and social events for a decade. Yeah. And it's true what they say, you know, first they call you crazy uh, and then you become correct. <laughs> and well, and I was crazy for a lot of years. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's it is it is nuts. And you were so young. You were so yeah. young. Like, yeah, I think that's in 2013. Uh, I was 20 like I was yeah I was I was 20 years old um when I found bitcoin and started which is like which is obscene and, and of course when you're when you're 20 you know you're the smartest guy in the world and 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 you're never going to get smarter and now looking back I'm like oh wow I was a complete idiot back then uh, and you know what I'm sure in 10 years I'll look back on today and think I was a complete idiot today uh that's kind of just how the progression of life works but yeah yeah man I think part of part of what gave me the you know, the audacity to jump into Bitcoin the way that I did was the fact that I was so young and I, and I didn't, I wasn't, and, and to this day, I'm still not, I suppose, because of the confidence I gained 10 years ago, but I didn't have the jaded look of, well, no, that can't be the case, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have that pessimistic um, door shut mentality. I, I, I'm, I've been a, an inquisitive guy from, from the beginning of, of my life. And I've been, you know, always drove my parents crazy. All the, all the why questions, I'm sure you experienced that as well. Yeah. And, uh, and lucky for me, my parents kind of lent into it and started explaining why, and, and, and not just explaining why X, Y, Z, but explaining, here's how you figure out why X, Y, and Z. And, uh, as a result found Bitcoin, started asking why went down the rabbit hole and realize like, this is the future. There's there's no question in my mind that Bitcoin is 100% the future of finance, not just for our country, but for our world. That's that's crazy. And I want to get into that with you. But I yeah. also want your story because every single good CEO and founder I've had on this show <laughs> has an equally awesome story. Take us back to the beginning. You know, what was your what was the beginning of your career like? Were you always this entrepreneurial driven? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like from an early age, I, I always understood the value of adding value to others in order to gain value myself. Um, you know, starting back from like, <laughs> I, uh, my first job, uh, I was too young to work there, like by a few months. So I had to lie about my age. And by the time they figured it out, I was, 
I was old enough, so it was all fine. Um, you, you know, just kind of always, always found ways to, to make things work um, the way that I needed to. I remember early, early on, uh, maybe I was 13 or 14. I, uh, I was playing, playing golf with my buddies at a golf course here in Shore or in Shore Park, which is where I grew up, uh, called Broadmoor. And I just went into the kitchen. Uh, his name was Dave Chan. I just said, Mr. Chan, like, can I come work for you? And he looked at me and went, well, Adam, what can you do? And I was like, I don't know. I can do anything, I guess. <laughs> and he's like, sure, come back at four o'clock and we'll get you washing dishes and windows. And so I went home, had lunch, went back to the golf course and, and washed dishes and, and cleaned windows and did that for a couple summers. And then, you know, just kind of progressed through there. I've, I worked at sport check selling shoes and, 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 and jackets. I worked at a car dealership, washing cars. I worked a little bit of hard labor uh, for 10 bucks an hour, which is, you know, felt like a million bucks at, at the time. And, and now is not even, you know, it's not even, it's two thirds minimum wage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, I've always been kind of just eager and hungry to work. I just love working, love adding value. Um, and obviously benefiting from the value myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like what I'm always excited about and interested is that you went from that. You went from like, okay, you know, I have these like sales jobs or these various jobs. I, I always love to know what was the catalyst? Like right before you started um, Bitcoin Well, you were working at, uh, what was it? Franklin's Inn doing distribution and sales, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was... So that was my foray into like real world. And, and, and I went, when I turned 18, um, I, wor I worked two jobs for 14 hours a day, saved as much as I could, and I went to Australia. I uh, went to Australia for probably about a little bit less than six months, I guess. Um, came home and then started working at Earl's. And I worked at Earl's for about two years and I learned a ton. Like that was, that was, that was, that was my first real job. Yeah. Um, I had part-time jobs or full-time jobs working as like, you know, clump them all into just like labor jobs, just go for basically go do this and, and don't ask questions, just make sure the job gets done and then, and then be good. But then at Earl's, it was, it was my first, you know, big boy job, I guess you could say, where I had yeah. some responsibility, um, had to make some decisions. I was there at a good time. I got uh, promoted to being the bar leader very quickly, which meant that I was in charge of inventory behind the bar and, and managing, you know, a small group of bartenders, making sure that the schedules all worked. And I was the fall guy for everything that happened behind the bar. And I loved it. I loved yeah. the responsibility. Um, but it also got me into the meetings. It got me into the weekly kind of leadership meetings where we're talking about budgets, talking about sales, talking about, you know, ideas. How do we make things grow? Why is Wednesday night suddenly so slow when last year it was so busy? And just being around that, I like I kept my mouth shut for the most part. I, I reported on my, you know, inventory was good and, and we ran out of limes last week. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but I was just a sponge learning and listening. Yeah. Um, at that time, uh, or a few years later, started dating my now wife and her folks owned the hotel um, and restaurant in the hotel. And so um, I'd left Earl's, went to do like a sales job in oil and gas, absolutely hated it, was not for me, too slow, like just just yeah. didn't really find the passion that um, I wanted. So I went and worked for my for my my soon to be or my now in-laws um, at the restaurant. And um, and it was at that time that I kind of found found Bitcoin, but took lots of that experience that I had from Earl's, brought it to the restaurant over at uh, at Franklin's Inn and then and then found Bitcoin and and kind of just 
<laughs> went uh, two feet, two hands, my head first. <laughs> it, it's one thing to find Bitcoin. I think everybody's found crypto. But, you know, I mean, it's a whole nother thing to be like, I'm going to create Canada's largest crypto company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. It, I mean, overnight after 10 years, I guess, like <laughs> it was it, it, that it wasn't the plan. The the plan, like it started as a side hustle. I, I suppose I um, I found Bitcoin in early March and of 2013. And I was like, ah. Oh, this, you know, fake internet money, like this is hilarious. Yeah. I'm going to just rip on this. Like, there's no way this is real. And then started learning a little bit more about it. it made a ton of sense. And mean, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a technical guy. I'm, I don't have a comp side background or anything like that. So I had to really learn about it and learned a ton. And the more that I learned, the more that I realized like, oh, that actually makes sense. Oh, this is how money should work. And then, you know, you learn about Bitcoin, but you learn about economics, the history of money, fiat, you know, even our political system, like you just learn so much throughout that journey. We call it the orange pill journey. Yeah. And, and before I knew it, I was ready to buy some, some Bitcoin. So went out uh, to buy some Bitcoin and, uh, and in 2013, obviously there was not a lot of options to go out and, and, and buy Bitcoin. It was like, send money to Russia or oh, wow. meet some guy in a back alley. Like there was like, there was just no, no good options. And so opted for the the back alley experience, got what you'd expect buying fake internet money in a back alley, <laughs> which was a horrible experience. Um, you know, gave the guy my hundred bucks. He like scanned a sketchy QR code on my phone from an app that I downloaded an hour before um, and then left. And I was like, well, that was a ripoff. Like <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> but then went home you know, looked at, looked at, looked at this app and was like, okay, well I see Bitcoin. I see confirmations. Like that seems legit. Yeah. Um, but something my dad always said was, uh, nothing's not worth anything unless someone else will buy it. Yeah. So immediately tried to sell the Bitcoin that I just bought. Uh, within a few days I'd sold 0.9 of the Bitcoin and had my hundred bucks back. And I was like, Hey, that kind of worked. I have 0.1 Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, it didn't cost me anything. I made my hundred bucks back. I wonder if that scales. And so rather than doing things in back alleys, I opted for like McDonald's and Starbucks. So I'd rip yeah. around. If you ask some of the OGs here in Edmonton, they've like, chances are they've met with me in a McDonald's or a Starbucks. I used to drive around in my Volkswagen Golf. Yeah. And uh, when it started and, and I would, would, would meet them and we'd talk about Bitcoin and then I'd sell them or, or, or buy Bitcoin from them. I kind of just became this, this Bitcoin, you know, broker, I suppose for the city yeah. of Edmonton. And then in, 2013 in October, uh, the world's first Bitcoin ATM was launched in Vancouver. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's way more scalable than me going to McDonald's and Starbucks, you know, a few times a week. And so I bought a Bitcoin ATM and then deployed the first one in Alberta. And uh, the rest is kind of history. Man, that so it was really sketchy in the beginning. Super sketchy, man. I'll tell you, like the first ATM that I bought, I still do not have to this day. Like I bought it 10 years ago and it hasn't been delivered, <laughs> bought and paid for and it never came. Like it was super sketchy. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think the whole industry started from nothing and it was so decentralized. We were all just kind of making it up as we went. And I think that's yeah. part of why it worked. The free market was at play. We were all empowered 
and 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 forced really to find the best solutions for all of our problems. There's no nanny, no no predecessor, no one telling us what we could or should do or what the market said or blah blah yep. blah. It was just like figure it out and make it happen. And if you fail, try again, do it better. And that's what happened. And I failed a ton. Um, then I figured it out, tried again, did it better until I stopped failing. Yeah, yeah. And like, I remember it being a really big deal when you put one in West Edmonton Mall. And for those of people around the world listening, West Edmonton Mall is one of the largest malls in the world. At one time, it was the largest mall in the world. I don't don't think it is anymore. But it's right here in Edmonton. And I remember that being like a huge, huge deal that there was a Bitcoin ATM in West Edmonton Mall. Yeah, funny. That actually wasn't us that 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 did that that was a different uh a different atm crew Interesting. Um, and uh and it, it was funny so they so like the gramigians are the ones that own the mall and and we looked at that property um but the gramigians are sharks and and i was like petrified of them so <laughs> i didn't but what what we opted to do was was we partnered with a local cafe owner called remedy cafe okay um and they've been tremendous partners they were kind of homes of some of the first bitcoin atms in the city them and 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 sherlock holmes pub yeah um some of the first you know kind of hosts to these to these atms because like in the beginning like i said that first atm that i ordered it, it never came so i would like i ordered the atm then i went to a local business and said hey Bitcoin is this, uh, I got a machine that that's coming that will sell Bitcoin. Can I put it in here? And then, you know, they were like, okay, sure. And then a month, two months, three months go by and no machine comes and they're like, nah, nah, nah. you know what? This is too sketchy. This is too weird. This is not yeah. been a smooth experience so far. You're done. And that happened like multiple times. And so it was, it was a scramble to, to get it. The, the second machine we placed, this is actually a pretty good story. Uh, so that was in in February 2014. Finally, a different ATM that I ordered from a different company came. And when I say ATM, I, I mean Bitcoin ATM. Yeah, uh, we put it downtown Edmonton in what was then the Rosen Crown Pub, um, owned by the Sherlock Holmes group of of pubs. We put that right downtown Edmonton in February. In April, I went to a conference, a Bitcoin conference, believe it or not, in in Toronto. And I sat. I was just at a table for dinner. And uh, this group of three guys was like, hey, you're Adam. You're from, uh, you're the guy that just launched the Bitcoin ATM in, in Edmonton. I was like, oh yeah, hey, what's up? And they're like, we're making Bitcoin ATMs. Um, we're from Ottawa. Would you like one of ours? And I was like, oh, I'd love one, but I can't afford it. Because uh, I, I ordered this other one. It's supposed to come. I, I spent all my money on the second one. Yeah. I, just, I just have no money. And they were like, ah, no problem. We'll give you one. And then you can pay us back out of the profits. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. Then, then I'll definitely take one. Yeah. So we arranged it all up. This is in April. Uh, they're like, okay, it'll be ready in, in May. So I was like, great. So May like 4th or May 5th or something, I jump in my truck and I drive to Saskatoon. Um, on my drive, I have a list of 100 businesses that I'm going to call to get because this this machine's being shipped to Saskatoon that week. So I'm like, yeah. I got to get this thing placed. Yeah. So I my like call number 48 or something like that is this bakery in Saskatoon, this French like this French guy. And I was like, hey, my name's Adam. I'm from a company called but at that time was called Bitcoin Solutions. I want to place this Bitcoin machine here. He's like, Bitcoin's a scam. And I was like, no, it's not. It's the real <laughs> deal. Let's meet for coffee. Like, I want to talk to you for 20 minutes and then you tell me get out. He's like, sure. So we met, I convinced him, yeah. we delivered the machine, we placed the machine and then, and then I went back. So like, that's just like, 
that's the origin. It's not like, like I, you know, it, it wasn't some well premeditated thought yeah. process. It was purely like just grit and hustle. It, it is it is persistence and consistency, totally. right? And, you know, I talk about this on the show all the time because so many people are like, well, what's the fast track? How do I do this faster? How do I get more effective at business development? And I always say like, you, there's no replacement for the time and effort required. So yeah. honestly, to- it's, it's swinging so big that you fail. The faster yeah. you fail, the faster you will be successful. And, totally. and you just have to take massive swings yeah. um, all the time. Yeah, like the biggest problem that I see everywhere for most people in business development that are struggling is they don't follow a consistent process, right? It's like, oh, I called like four people on Tuesday and maybe one person on Friday and then sent like eight emails on Wednesday, right? It's like, no, 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 no. You need to follow a consistent process. But if you follow a process and you do it every single week, bar none, you don't miss your calls, you don't miss your emails, you don't miss your digital connections and you ask for the meetings, you have no choice but to succeed because the consistency will lead to success. Yeah, it's math. I mean, there's just conversion rates that exist in in whatever you're doing. Yeah. And it's just math. And and occasionally the math, you know, rewards you with some better than expected math. But at the end of the day, it's like rounded out over a long enough period. It's it's a law of averages. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you look at your story where it's like, okay, I have an ATM coming into Saskatoon. I have to sell this thing. Like it cannot fit here in wait. No options. I need an option. And yeah, like, you know, I'm sure that your first phone pitch sucked horribly. Oh yeah. But it gets better and better and better. By the time you've made 60, 100, 200, a thousand different phone pitches, it's so automatic and you know what value propositions to hit to that your ability to turn that into a meeting conversion probably got better and better and better and better and better. Absolutely. It's all it's it's all about just exercising that that muscle and 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 also like frankly not really taking no for an answer. Like one of my uh I think I think it was right after we went public. Um you know, we had a bunch of like publicity whatever people were texting and 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 my parents like born and raised or I was born and raised here and my parents have been here for 40 50 years. So there's like they got some 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 roots in the city. Um, and, and so people are texting my parents and, and some of their close friends were like, oh man, good for Adam. You know, he got so lucky, uh, getting into Bitcoin so early. And my dad was like, I'm not sure that was luck. Like he was like, Adam has heard the word no more times than everyone in this room combined. He just doesn't stop and doesn't quit. I'm just tenacious. And I think that is what it is. It's just having the, you know, the stupidity or the audacity, whichever one you want to call it, it's audacious because it worked, I guess, for me, and it, it would be stupid if it wasn't, but um, to just stop, never stop. Yeah. And, and like, what made you decide to go public? Was it that you ultimately just wanted, like, because it's, it's, it's publicly traded, like Bitcoin and crypto tends to be seen that way? Was it more like, okay, I think I have to do this in order to have long-term success? What like, what was the choice? Because I know that's not an easy process. Yeah, it wasn't easy. It was very expensive. Um, so there was, there's two reasons to go public for us. The first was access to capital, which um, I think didn't work as good as, as I hoped. Um, at that, like when we started going public, time was perfect. When we actually went public, the market had turned, you know, the, 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 the bulls had, had kind of soured. Um, and we were entering into what we're just, you know, kind of coming out of right now, which is yeah. a big soft crypto market. Um, the other reason though, was the notoriety and, and the, the, like, before we went public, we didn't have a bank. We didn't, we couldn't get an auditor. 
until we like showcased lots of our plans to go public. We didn't have an armored car service. Um, even getting like like a lease on a building was difficult. Wow. Um, the second the second you have a ticker, people know that someone else has done due diligence and that you're probably a safer bet than someone that's not. And not that to, that to be said, it's all it's all just perception. Yes. Um, but the perception of being a public traded company comes with a certain degree of security for third parties. And, yeah. and that was a, that was a huge piece. Cause like I said, like the opportunities for us at that time, I think it's different now. I think the industry has matured. I think that the same is not true of companies today, but being publicly traded has definitely opened a lot more doors for us. Like we were, we were able to pilot, you know, brand new Bitcoin accounts with banks. Yeah. Uh, and they chose us simply because we were publicly traded. <laughs> that's it actually blows my mind like i had no idea that it was such like almost a taboo subject because you know when you're talking about that like saying like you know we couldn't get a bank account like we were struggling even as a registered company to like just operate it's so reminiscent of the cannabis industry here in canada oh yeah it's very very similar uh the difference is bitcoin's never been illegal <laughs> right like like Drug dealers ne have never paid taxes. Um, you know, we've always paid taxes. Like, like it's 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 absolutely shocking. And actually, me personally, I am still personally um, out. Like, I don't have a bank. Like, like I'm I'm not allowed to have a bank at like ATB, TD, BMO, CIBC, Scotia Bank. They have all completely debanked me um, just because of what I've the, who I am in the industry. Holy cow! That is absolutely bonkers. Is yeah. it because that you you may be competition to them at some point? I is mean, they'd never say that. But the line that I always get is for compliance reasons. And then I ask, what are the reasons? Can I help remedy them? And then they say, no. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, we're debanking you for secret reasons that we're not going to tell you that you can't fix. Like, well, I... I don't think that's legit. <laughs> oh, wow. I had and no then the, the no crazier idea. thing is, so, so get this mind trip. Um, I am not eligible for a bank account, uh, which means I'm, I'm, I'm cash based for the most part. And you can't pay taxes in cash. Uh, since 2018, the government's made it illegal to pay your taxes in cash. So I'm in this weird predicament where I have to pay taxes uh, but I don't have a means in which to pay taxes. And it's a very, very weird system. <laughs> <laughs> like you're going to like, you're going to like lend your money to someone else and have someone else pay your taxes for you. <laughs> well, like we had to negotiate with the Alberta government to take cash. I was the only person oh. in the province to pay, to pay their taxes in cash. This is a few years ago. Yeah. And, uh, it was a huge ordeal, a huge process. We had to have like, like a bunch of like security and like, it yeah. was an absolute gong show. Um, simply because like, you know, the war on cash exists, but then also, uh, just how outrageous our banking system is. Yeah. It seems kind of nuts because, you know, obviously the popularity of crypto has gone through the roof. You know I mean? It's like 
you can't look. I, I think it's something that people don't know a lot about, but you're very aware that it's becoming incredibly popular, right? It's like they talk about it. Uh, they talk about the investments in it. You hear it on the radio. You know that there's crypto. You know there's there's trading companies now that only specialize in crypto. There's companies like you, and yet it's still kind of treated with this like. And I get it. It's like it has the value of what we put on it for the most part, but so does money, right? Like that's no real different at this point. Um, but it still seems like there's a negative perception or a reluctance to support it. And I, and I understand maybe from a banking standpoint or a fiat currency standpoint of like our current money system that there's, there's a fear there of like, what does this even mean? And I know that there's probably a lot of people who stand to not benefit um, from a switch in that way. So there's probably some level of, you know, resistance or, 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 or ways to hold it back. But, you know, like you said, it's like, it's pretty obvious too. There's, there's a lot of people spending a lot of money on crypto. There's a lot of people making a lot of money on crypto. Yeah. I think like a lot of what you're talking about comes down to like the majority of cryptocurrency is a scam. Um, and and i would like i'm of the belief that everything other than bitcoin goes to zero against bitcoin um on a long enough time frame including eth including like cardano including ripple like including whatever the flavor of the year is the flavor yeah. of the cycle everything goes to zero against bitcoin and i think we're starting to see a little bit of a decoupling between like when i started bitcoin blockchain and crypto we're all the same. You could say yeah. any one of those things. And what you meant was yeah. Bitcoin. For the there most was part. one. Yeah. And then in 2017, crypto and Bitcoin and blockchain kind of found their own little avenues. Um, Bitcoin and blockchain were still um, kind of heavily together. But crypto kind of created this like degen, like penny stock, ICO, illegal security type of ecosystem with the launch of like of ETH and, and the ETH network and the Ethereum network. And I think today we're starting to see people truly understand that like blockchain is mostly just fluff. Like the blockchain is just a database. Uh -huh. Bitcoin and crypto are completely different things. Bitcoin itself has the properties of sound money. It's truly decentralized and it is actually a better place to store value than, you know, gold or, or your savings account. Crypto is a lot like a casino and crypto yeah. is largely projects that are very, very centralized and they look a lot like really unregulated penny stocks. Yeah. And so I think that, that, you know, that Bitcoin and crypto decoupling, um, <laughs> frankly, I think it can't come soon enough so that the good actors like us who, you know, believe in the future of Bitcoin, but caution really against crypto, um, will be able to be outside of the the conversation of oh well my cousin lost their shirt yeah. buying uh you know some random coin that was a scam it's like well yeah that was an obvious scam like you know it, it, it's it's a completely different conversation bitcoin versus crypto yeah yeah and and you know can you clarify that for us what is it about bitcoin other than being you know the original the og that makes it different from the rest. Yeah, there's two main things. One uh, is that it doesn't like it. It has someone that created it, but that someone hasn't been involved for for almost 12 years now. Um, there is no real founder. Every single project or token that you hear about 
has someone running it, has a foundation, has a marketing department, right? Yeah. Has has a leader. And and Bitcoin is truly decentralized, meaning they, there's no one to call the shots, which makes it ultimately safer. If Vitalik from Ethereum Foundation wanted to, he can change the supply. He can change the rules of the ETH token. He can make it so that every time you send ETH, 99% of that transaction goes to him. If he wants to, he can do that. The same yeah. way your bank can decide, oh yeah, this money is ours now and we're going to put a three-month hold on it, right? Yeah. When someone's yeah. in charge, you're exposed to the decisions and the rules that that person sets. And the majority, if not all cryptocurrency with the exception of Bitcoin, I actually don't even consider Bitcoin to be cryptocurrency, but the like the majority of cryptocurrency exists in a single centralized uh, uh, ecosystem where there is a leader, there is a, a centralized individual that holds the rules. The secondary thing that makes Bitcoin so different is the initial token supply. The majority of crypto projects that you heard of issued free or cheap tokens to the founding team. Bitcoin didn't. Bitcoin has 100% always been proof of work. You need to put energy into the algorithm in order to take Bitcoin out. Now, granted, in the early days, the Bitcoin algorithm didn't need much energy. So if you got yeah. into Bitcoin early, you could spend a, le a lot less energy and get a lot more Bitcoin. Yeah. But you always had to do that work. There was no pre-sale. There was no initial token issuance. It was just straight proof of work. And those two things make Bitcoin so drastically different from anything else that we've ever seen that that's truly what sets it apart. It's not that Bitcoin was the first. There's no better technology. This, this is not a technology play. This yeah. is strictly a sound money and a store of value play. That's so interesting. So, okay, so... What is the work? Like, what is it that gives Bitcoin value? Like, what is the tangible sellable product? So it's energy. Bitcoin is a store of value or a store of energy, right? Let's, let's, let's debase. Like, let's, let's completely go down the line of what money is. Money sure. is a simple representation of the value that we create with our time, right? If you sleep all day long and you have no business, you've done no prior work, all you do is sleep. Your time is worth zero dollars. You have expended zero energy. You've created zero value. Your time is worth nothing. Yeah. If you go and make a beautiful bench, you, you, you harness the wood, you sand it down, you stain it, you cut it up, you measure it, whatever. You spend an entire day making a bench. Your time, your efforts are worth whatever someone's going to pay for that bench, right? If you and a billion other people are making the same bench, uh, it will be worth a lot less than if you're the only bench in the world and everyone's been standing for the last thousand years, right? So we can kind of see how, where our efforts go uh, and, and how we use our efforts creates value. But you don't want to make benches for your entire life. You don't want to make a bench every single day for sure. your entire life. So you need to sell two benches and then you need to save something. You need to have something in return. Because if I say to you, hey, look, I've got a cow. I'll give you my, my cow for your bench, right? Then great. But that meat's going to expire. <laughs> you, yeah. can't, you can't eat a whole cow in a day. So yeah. you got to then, you know, do something else with the cow. Maybe you sell part of that cow for, I don't know, a hairbrush or, or a house or whatever it might be. And yeah. we can kind of see why money is needed in the middle of all the transactions. But the problem is, if I give you 
like something that we agree upon, which is which is a token of money, uh, and that money is is not capped. We we don't ever see how much total money is in circulation. We're always guessing at how much that money is going to be worth. Yeah. And so you need something in the middle, something that is true, pure, and sound in the middle to actually play part of that ecosystem. But how do you give something value to to represent the value that you're creating with your time with with nothing going into it? So you need to spend energy, literal energy, oil or electricity in some capacity. You need to spend that energy to receive that Bitcoin. And then that Bitcoin is effectively harnessed energy. That Bitcoin has the properties of spent efforts and therefore the value of spent efforts. <laughs> wow. That was really, really in depth. Um, I never thought about it that way before. What? Okay. So there's tangible, real effort value in Bitcoin. It is not just a, a fiat or like we're, we're calling it worth this today. What causes the flux of value of Bitcoin then? It's how much energy goes into the algorithm. So, so the algorithm is designed, there's 21 million Bitcoin ever to exist. That's it. That, that's, that's a cap. Uh, and people are like, well, how can you verify that? Well, like, it's written in the code. But so like you can do one of two things. You can take my word for it or you can learn how to read the code and just go audit the code. Um, I recommend that one. But like, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> and so imagine like, like I'm holding a marker right now and, and, and the marker is like a log. And, and every time uh, we, we get a block, a block comes off the log of, of the 21 million Bitcoin. Um, uh, that's a reward. And that's great. But the, but the, 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 the log of 21 million Bitcoin is, is protected by an algorithm. And the algorithm says, look, I'm only going to be putting out blocks every 10 minutes. That's it. And so I'm going to be, I'm going to make you solve a problem that is going to be as hard as it needs to be so that a new block comes out every 10 minutes. Yeah. And if there's one, you know, miner or one soldier, whatever, one something, one, it's called a miner, but anything, if there's one unit attacking me, I need to be this hard. If there's two units attacking me, mm-hmm. I need to be twice as hard. If there's 10 units attacking me, I need, and the, and the algorithm self-governs in order to make sure that there's only 10 or one block every 10 minutes. Yeah. And so therefore, if there are 10 units attacking the algorithm, Bitcoin is 10 times more valuable than if there's only one unit attacking the algorithm, because you need 10 times more energy to get one Bitcoin. Yes. Okay. So as Bitcoin increases in popularity, as more and more miners come into the network, it requires more and more energy to actually get the Bitcoin out of the algorithm. So when you're talking about miners, who are these people? Yeah, well, they're computers. They're not people. Okay. Um, the, the miners are, are dedicated, like, well, really anyone can be a miner. Like you and I on the computers that we're currently podcasting on could could write you could, you could have a mining script and, and go through it it would be horribly inefficient you'd never get any bitcoin because um there's now companies that make dedicated computers they're called asics and it stands for a special i forget what the whole word is but it's a it's it's a, spe- a special purpose vehicle let's say it's it's very very specialized only to do one thing 
and that's mine Bitcoin. So you plug in the, the machine, you tell the miner, like you program the miner, I want to mine Bitcoin. Here's the algorithm that I want you to mine. And you plug it into the wall and the power dictates, like you're spending power. That computer is spending the power, sending it to the algorithm. And the algorithm determines whether or not you've like, solved the problem correctly or not. Okay. Okay. So there are people or companies out there now that are essentially trying to mine as much of this Bitcoin as they can while it's still a lower cost. Is that an accurate way of explaining this? Yeah, I think, I think there's time. It's just going like, to get more and more expensive. hundred percent Bitcoin. Like that's like the base, base, base layer for Bitcoin is how much does it cost you to mine? And the miners get the base cost. And then as retail, like I don't want to set up, I don't want to go and get a factory and, and sure. set up a bunch of power plants and get a bunch of ASICs to get Bitcoin. I want to go to bitcoinwell.com slash join. I want to send an e-transfer and get Bitcoin in the fastest and safest yeah. way possible, right? Yeah. So I'm going to pay a little bit of a premium for that. Sure. And so the retail market pays that premium. So like it's way cheaper per coin to it just to just mine Bitcoin. But like, unless you have a warehouse and a power plant, that's pretty tricky to do. So yeah. if you're buying a hundred bucks every two weeks, like I recommend, then then you're just going to buy Bitcoin retail. Yeah, it's, it's and, like and, and the retailers are the ones that set the price of of Bitcoin. So if more people are buying the price goes that that premium gets greater and greater. Sure. If more people are selling, that premium gets lesser and lesser. And sometimes the premium even goes negative. Sometimes miners are not able to mine Bitcoin. Like it takes too much power compared to the price of Bitcoin at that time. And what happens is miners turn off. The algorithm has less units attacking it. And guess what happens? It gets cheaper to mine Bitcoin because yeah. it's a perfectly regulated, self-regulating system. I was going to say, do you know what this sounds a lot like? Free money or the, or the, the free market making perfect money? I was going to say the, the oil and gas sector. It's it's similar, except there's no politicians and there's and there's no big companies manipulating the shit yeah. out of the oil and gas. <laughs> okay, so... The part that confuses me about the whole thing is you mentioned that like the person who created this is no longer involved. How the heck is it operating? Like there's got to be a central server stack somewhere owned by someone, no. right? That's the beautiful How? thing. Every, so, okay, <laughs> man, we're getting the, this is like Bitcoin 401 at this point. Yeah, so, we need to learn. So Bitcoin, like I have a Bitcoin wallet, okay? And you can set up a wallet whereby you have a node or a cloud-based wallet, right? A cloud-based wallet is just someone else's wallet that you're basically using. Not as safe, but relatively safe still. We're going to like ignore that completely. Okay. You can make a node and a node basically just connects to the blockchain. It's all open source and it connects to the blockchain and it says it downloads the entire blockchain. The entire history of Bitcoin is downloaded I'm trying to see if I have a node in this office. I don't think I have one in here. I've got one just behind my wall, but like it's on a hard drive. The entire properties of the Bitcoin blockchain live on that hard drive. And then it constantly updates and it constantly checks in with every other node that's in the world. And if everyone is in consensus, that means that the network is is strong and is good. So if if I send you a trend, like let's talk about our banking system. If I send you a transaction at the bank, yeah. we are both relying on TD Canada Trust 
saying that transaction went through. Yes. That's one thing, right? One centralized server to say, okay, Adam sent Kelly a transaction. Very good. If I send you a Bitcoin transaction, every single Bitcoin node in the entire world has to confirm that Adam sent Kelly a transaction. Tens of thousands wow. of copies of the blockchain are updated. That way, if I turn my node off, there's like others <laughs> that yeah. still agree and think that that transaction went through, which is which is very, very good. And so the way that it worked, how it was originally set up was Satoshi had the initial node and and every other person that wanted to use Bitcoin in the early days had to set up their own node, their own full copy of the blockchain. And it kind of just bolstered and bolstered from there to today where there's like, there's literally, I think there's over 10,000 copies of the blockchain as nodes actively syncing with the network. Wow. <laughs> that So it's like, it's actually a physical thing. Like it sits on well, your desk. Well, like think. it's, I mean, it's a physical thing as much as data is physical. Like, okay. is your spreadsheet physical? Well, if you print it, yes, I suppose. But like, it's, it's, it's code on a computer. I see. Um, that is downloaded onto a hard drive. You're not yeah. like, you're not getting a, a physical token or anything like that. I see. But okay. yeah. it is, it is like, it's real data that exists the same way, like, are tweets physical? No. Are tweets real? Yes. They, they like it, this, this conversation is, <laughs> yeah. is not even physical, right? This no. is going through, through a dot wav file into like how many different countries? It's not a physical conversation. No. This is a very real conversation because it's all just data. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was just confused because I was thinking like, okay, is there like, like this like super little black box that Adam keeps on his desk and he calls it the node and it was up with all these other nodes? So like that is like, yes, like there actually is um, like a, like a black box that exists that like in my office, that is a node. Okay. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way, I guess. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. No, fair enough. Fair enough. And so, okay. So now we're going to get into some like theoretical things. Nice. What is the future of Bitcoin? And I know that that's a hard ask, but let's get real. Who better to ask than you? You know, you're competing against a system that has existed for as long as probably money systems for the most part have existed. They've always been different and there's been different versions of them, but they're all relatively the same. And now we're saying like, hey, there's probably a better way. How does that conversation play out? What has to happen for Bitcoin to be like, okay, this is this is something we're going to be able to utilize or could compete on the same level as cash? Yeah, I mean, that depends on what we mean by compete. Bitcoin is different things to different people. And I kind of have summed it up into, into two different boxes. On one hand, Bitcoin is a speculative investment, the same way someone has a house as a speculative investment, or a penny stock or gold, um, or, a, or, or a blue chip stock or a, or a pension plan. Um, those are all speculative investments. And generally, they have an entry and an exit point. Uh, if you bought a stock today for $1.50 and it went to $1,000 tomorrow, you're probably going to sell, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like most likely. But, but, then, but then you're stuck with $1,000 that loses money at 8 to 10% a year. Yes. Um, what do you do with that 1000 bucks? Where does it go? Oh, I'm going to spend it. I'm going to consume it. Sure. Yeah. Consume it, right? Go on a trip, buy a new car, yeah. like whatever. But if you're not going to consume it, 
what do you do with it? Well, this is why we need sound money. This is why we need something that's not an investment, but someplace where we can store the value that we create with our time. We talked about this like a half hour ago, right? That yeah. whole cycle of like, why do we need money? To store the value that we create with our time. And then you need to do two things with it. You need to move that value into the future, right? I wanna, I wanna make value when I'm 31 and I wanna spend that value when I'm 61, Yeah. right? But we also have to move it across space. I don't wanna spend it in Edmonton. I wanna spend it in the Bahamas or I wanna spend it in Disney World or I wanna spend it on the south of Spain, whatever, right? Yeah. So we need to we need to find a way to to create value, store value, and then spend the value. We want to make sure though that that value is equal. If I work for four hours today and I can go buy two ribeye steaks, then in five years, I also want those two ribeye steaks to be worth four hours of value. If yeah. I have to work six hours to buy two ribeye steaks in the future, that's bad, right? Yes. Anything less than four hours is gravy. And so Bitcoin has the properties of money that enables us to store value and spend it in the future. And so what, what do you do with it? The future of it is savings. The future of it is living within your means today, less than your means today, storing your value in Bitcoin and spending that value at a later date. We all know what savings are for. Hardly any of us actually use savings. But I, but I tell you what, if Bitcoin went to a million dollars tomorrow, guess what I would do? I would buy $100 worth every two weeks. Yeah, That's what I've been doing for 10 years. Yeah, That's what I will do until the day that I die. There is not a world, there is not a day or not a week that will pass that I'm alive on this earth where I will not be accumulating Bitcoin because that is my savings plan. It's not my investment right? If housing prices quadruple, like I'm probably going to look at selling my house because I will be like, oh, great. You know, I've got this house. There's some extra money in there. I'm going to sell it. But again, it comes back to what do you do with the money once you've sold it? Sure. Yeah. You're going to consume some, but if you're yeah. setting yourself up for the future, if you're thinking about saving for the future, you need to save in Bitcoin. Sure. Okay. I, I get that. And I understand, you know, the devaluation of money over time with inflation. Why is that not relevant in Bitcoin or crypto? Because of the cap. So okay. our money, like if you look at the money supply, M0 money supply, this is like you can you can look it up on the government website. The M0 money supply from 2020 to here we are almost in 2024, as high as quintupled. That means there was five times more money in what it was actually a, a, a year and a half time frame, And now it's down to triple. So the money supply, the root base of money over the last four years has tripled. Wow. That means, imagine there is triple the houses. Imagine there, if you're going after a certain Pokemon card and all of a sudden there's three times as much. Like we're not dumb here, right? Your listeners are not idiots. No. What happens when something triples? When the supply of something triples overnight, the value gets cut into... <laughs> thirds tripled, yeah <laughs> oh, right like like yeah. it's just so basic such basic supply and demand economics and the opposite happens with bitcoin bitcoin is predetermined how much comes into circulation mm -hmm. every 10 minutes the algorithm tells us that and then what we didn't touch on is that number actually goes down every four years so not only do you have a perfectly balanced effort 
to value ratio, you've also got a decreasing amount of coins coming into circulation. There is less net new Bitcoin coming into circulation today than there was 10 years ago. Okay. That okay. makes it deflationary rather than inflationary. Yes, yes. Okay. Is there is there a cap? Like, is there like, okay, in a hundred years it hits its limit? Is there a limit of people that can use it? Um, you were saying self-regulating, but does that self-regulation have limits? Uh lots of questions there. There is a cap. The cap is 21 million. Yeah. There, there, the, the 21 millionth coin is set to be um in, like mined. In, in roughly 2169 is okay. kind of the rough year or maybe 2140. It's like, it's about a hundred years away for the last, get this, there is currently 19 million coins in circulation. Okay. So you're like, whoa, you know, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're 90% mined, but it will take another hundred years for the last 10%. That's because of that decreasing money supply or the, or the, yeah. or the decreasing Bitcoin that comes in um, to the market. There is no cap to the self-regulation. Absolutely none. Uh, there is theoretically a cap to how many Bitcoin transactions can be sent at one time. Uh, there is technical solutions being proposed and adopted to, to fix that. Um, but when we're talking about a store of value, we're talking about uh, savings. There is no cap um, and, and no end to how safe and, and how simple and how good the Bitcoin network is. That's very interesting. Yeah, I just like, if I'm struggling, and you know what I mean, I imagine that a lot of people do, to like understand a system that isn't controlled by something, a country, or it just, it seems hard to believe, doesn't it? Uh, well, not for me, because I've been, I've been believing <laughs> that for 10 years, but, but yeah, no, it does. And, and, and I would, I would like, I would challenge you to think of another, of another, like, part of your life and let's go to an extreme example like imagine another part of your life where you want that control and not many exist right like let's talk about how about raising our kids sure what if what if the same people that were in charge of the money were also in charge of telling us what we could or couldn't do with our children would that be better or worse than the current system probably Probably worse worse. what about (laughs) our health right? Would that be better or worse than the current system? Probably worse. What about our free time? Better or worse? Probably worse. What about our education? Better or worse? Probably worse. Like, let's go down the line here, man. Why do we want (laughs) someone in control of our money when every other aspect of our life we do not want someone else in control of? (laughs) True. True. You know, I mean, I guess the system currently relies on the fact that people think that, well, we're, you know, on an individual level, we're not smart enough to manage our lives or our money, right? I think that's- Man, I had this conversation with a buddy of mine yesterday. So yeah. we have a we have a brand new Bitcoin savings plan, uh, a recurring byproduct at bitcoinwell.com. Uh, you can sign up, send an automatic bill payment, and it gets sent to you whenever that bill payment comes in. It's the best, the fastest, safest way to save. It's brilliant. And he's telling me, he's like, look, Bitcoin, I like it. I get the theory, I get the concept. It's just confusing. And I was like, no, it's the same as an email. It's the same as Twitter. It's the same as driving a car. You have to do like a little bit of effort to just learn the new system. But then you're empowered with the freedom that Bitcoin gives you. Mm-hmm. It, but like much like setting up your first iPhone, like 
Is it confusing? Yeah, there's buttons everywhere. There's settings you have to set up. You have to decide if you want your camera at a 24 frames per second or a 30 frames per second. Setting up this podcast. I'm like, I got a microphone. Where does this plug in? Do I want yeah. it at level four or level five? Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, there's just things that you have to do Learn. in order yeah. to 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 level up, in order to grow. But we're so captured in this like, don't even think about the money. You're too dumb. We're taught that from such an early age that anytime we hear money, we're like, we have like uh like battered wife syndrome of like, no, 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 no. I can't possibly, uh, you know, daddy government's told me I'm too stupid to even look at the glass box. I, 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 I dare not touch it. And, and here we are in a broken system where the money is three X less valuable, where, you know, housing costs and energy costs and food costs and everything's up. People are like, it's corporate greed. Everything's going up because of corporate greed. Like you idiot. It's not corporate greed. The money you're using sucks. The money you're using is manipulated to no end. That's why everything is increasing in value. It's been it's been a really hard couple of years in Canada. I, I don't think, you know, I mean, me and you both have quite a few kids. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like the cost of groceries, the cost of living over the past like three years has, yeah, it's been like tripled, you know, like it really is cost of energy, cost of everything in Canada has gone through the roof. And I know like, you know, I was I was having this conversation, you know, with Shelby the other day. And I'm like, you know, like, we do pretty okay. And yet we're still struggling to to do excellent or to do great. You know, it's like, I can't imagine how so many other people are doing that, you know, just have a Monday to Friday and making, you know, like 20 bucks an hour or whatever. Like, I can't imagine how their life is going. It must be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it's impossible, man. And 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 the government comes in with short sighted solutions like raising minimum wage, which just devalues the money further. Like yeah. we need to stop looking at the surface and dive into where the problems are. And the problems yeah. lie in the fiat ecosystem that exists. And when the money that you trade your time for has no cap and no sound principles, then the value you store, or the value you create with your time and subsequently store in that money will be stripped from you. It will be stolen. And, and that's the reality that we're in now. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. Groceries are about three times more expensive than they were four years ago. And guess what? The money is three times more, uh, more in circulation. Like, yeah. like, is that a coincidence? Hmm. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, that's it. Like if the idea was that people were going to do be better off, it definitely didn't do that. <laughs> that was never the idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like, that's that's it's never the idea is that people will be better off when we print money the idea is people are in pain uh we better short term this right Mm -hmm. it's it's the mindset it's that short term high time preference mindset that we've always had the government's always had because the governments don't live like you and i are living for 100 years right the government lives for four the government needs to get elected in four years you and i have to survive for a hundred and so the government's looking the next at at four like that's the time frame it's four years down the road and that's it yeah, how that's do it. we how do we know all they care about this mess? So <laughs> 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 we get reelected. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, man. That's all they care about. Uh, you and I are like, how do we raise a family? Yeah. How do we make sure that our brand new son is going to have a great uh, adulthood, right? In Absolutely. 20 years. Like yeah. that's where that that's where our heads are at. Yeah. The government cares about the next four. And so they make short-sighted, short-term decisions that do not benefit us 20 years down the road. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Man, we talked a lot about crypto. I appreciate that because we have not actually had any any well, first off, I'm I'm dumb to it. So you were educating me just as much as anyone else. 
And it's something that we haven't really been able to chat about on the show. So I really appreciate having you on. You know, there's so much that I still want to talk to you about. Do you still have like 15, 20 minutes, Adam? Let's let's hit it, man. Let's do awesome, it. Awesome. Awesome. I want to take us into, you know, Ghost Lab. What is Ghost Lab? You're also the founder and CEO of that. Yeah, Ghost Lab is a company that d- originally was created to design Bitcoin ATM software. So when we started going public as Bitcoin Well, I wanted Bitcoin Well to be a Bitcoin ATM company only that just printed money. Bitcoin ATMs are very profitable. Um, and I wanted a very simple business that would be, uh, you know, a cash cow, for lack of a better term. And I knew, though, that our our cash would be limited or our our creativity would be limited to whatever someone else could develop for software. And I was experiencing some pain points. At that time, we operated about 50 machines. And I was like, oh, man, I wish machines could do this or I wish machines could do that. Yeah. And the response that I would get from manufacturers were no. <laughs> yeah. And so I co-founded uh, Ghost Lab with Dave Bradley and we set out to make Bitcoin ATM software that we would license to Bitcoin well, but also license to other people, as other companies. As though we went public, our board of directors at the time didn't like the conflict of interest that I owned this company on the side. And, um, you know, forced or voted or whatever you want to say, us, like Bitcoin well had to effectively buy Ghost Lab from me. Um, and roll it into the company. And so Ghost Lab is now a subsidiary of Bitcoin Well, um, wholly owned subsidiary, meaning the public company owns Ghost Lab. Um, and now Bitcoin Well uh, benefits greatly from the Ghost Lab acquisition because we've got all the software <laughs> and yeah. we develop exactly what we need out of that software. Um, and it's also helped us greatly in like, you know, Bitcoin Well licenses that software from ghost lab still um and that's what employs like our partner program and and other strong initiatives that we have on the on the bitcoin atms but that's the story behind ghost lab so it was a quick a quick founding and then a quick like exit (laughs) but not really an exit that's okay that's still really cool so essentially all of your atms now are running your proprietary software you also license that software out to other companies and you're empowering them to also, you know, start their own uh, their own ATM style business. That's right. That's so cool, man. Um, with the ATMs, what is that experience like? So when you walk up to a Bitcoin ATM, uh, you push like Bitcoin, you scan your Bitcoin address, and that's key. Um, it's very, very important to me that everyone scans their Bitcoin address before they insert money or before they give us money, because that way we know where to send the Bitcoin before we even have the money. This is the safest way. If you are able to buy Bitcoin without giving someone a Bitcoin address, they're going to scam you or steal from you. <laughs> That's just yeah. the way it works. Yeah. And so whatever exchange you're using, whatever platform you're using, if you're buying Bitcoin and they don't ask you for an address, stop. Stop buying Bitcoin there and buy Bitcoin somewhere else. Uh, so you scan your Bitcoin address, then you insert cash, um, dollar bills, you push send Bitcoin, and then the Bitcoin comes uh, or gets sent from the machine to your Bitcoin wallet that you scanned in step one. Okay, okay. And like, if people want to cash out, do these machines also dispense cash? Like, do you buy Bitcoin through them as well? Yeah, so we do both. Um, Lots of the machines are not used that way. Frankly, I think because like, because our, like the online portal is kind of our second business unit and it's, it's 
like it's so efficient and so good um, that buying Bitcoin from and selling Bitcoin to the online portal um, is kind of the like the best experience, especially selling. Um, It's as simple as sending Bitcoin to the address we give you and then you get an e-transfer. We've also developed a platform where you can pay your bills. So if you want to pay your Epcor bill or your whatever, your, your credit card bill, your property tax bill, whatever it may be, you enter the bill into our system. We tell you how much Bitcoin to send us and then we pay that bill on your behalf. So there is like, there is real tangible ways to use Bitcoin at Bitcoin.com. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming more and more useful, which is pretty cool. (laughs) You know, that's starting to sound a little bit like a bank, Adam. (laughs) Yeah. I like people ask me (laughs) when people ask me who our competitors are and they assume it's Coinbase or, uh, one of the other Bitcoin exchanges in Canada, and and frankly, our competitor is Scotiabank. Our competitor is is ATB and Service Credit Union. And I and I, and I do think in ten to twenty years, uh, we'll be looking at acquiring those banks because their business models don't work. Their business models are archaic and are reliant on you giving them money for free and then them renting it out. They're reliant on a on an unlimited supply money system, and the world is changing. The same way information went from being locked and difficult to access before the internet. The internet came around and boom, business models were completely exposed to free information. Business models that at one point were were information heavy are now, you know, completely disrupted. That's happening in the finance world. And I think the more and more that, the, the more steam that Bitcoin gets, the more people that opt out of holding their money at the bank, the more the bank's business model will be at risk. And I think that's going to happen in, like I said, 10 to 20 years. Yeah, that's that's a hell of a prediction. <laughs> not a I lot guess of it time. is. <laughs> I've been called crazy before. Uh, I don't plan on stopping now. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't call people crazy, but yeah, that's that's crazy. You know I mean? We'll have to revisit this down the line and see where we're sitting. <laughs> Let's do it, man. Let's do it. That sounds great. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about the way that you market as well, because obviously we're a business development show and you know what I mean? I love your videos. Like you really make amazing videos. What was that is like, you know, tell me about some of the strategies you've used to market Bitcoin well and yourself, what has been effective and what hasn't. And you know, how did you learn to do such great videos? You know, the video work you do is awesome. Thanks man. Um, Yeah. I actually fell down like a daily vlogging, regimen in like 2016 2017 era not about bitcoin just about whatever i was doing at the time um and so that kind of gave me my initial like video chops um my comfort in front of a camera and then i think that the new like marketing is all well and good we have not seen very good success with ads Mm-hmm. Um, especially at the Bitcoin ATMs, the ads have been atrocious. We've ran ads for, for many, many years and the results are just atrocious. Um, I think that what ads, like, like I said, I've always been a value first kind of guy and what adds value in our industry is education. And so we developed like the Bitcoin Academy, um, in partnership with Athabasca university. And it's a, it's a free six curriculum course that you can take to just learn about Bitcoin. And those types of initiatives, you know, blog posts and how-to videos have been so rewarding. I think like I made a video two or three years ago, just explaining the difference between a miner and a node. 
Um, it's like five minutes, took me like an afternoon to make. It's got tens of thousands of, of people that have watched it. Um, and I did a bad job of being like, I'm from Bitcoin. Well, you should use our platform, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that is the future of, of marketing. It's like, hey, let me give you as much value as I possibly can. And by the way, this is what I do in relation to that value. If you trust me, if you like what I'm talking about, check out our service. Yeah. Um, I'd rather spend money educating people than, you know, Google <laughs> and Google ads. Um, yeah. Or, or whatever. And, and I think building that relationship with our users and building that relationship with our customers is going to continue to pay dividends well into the future. Yes, yes. You know, I, I, I agree. You know, I mean, being able to educate people always has a great effect, you know, like that's, that was a big reason behind starting the business development podcast is I recognize that you know, if I work for people directly, I can help a handful of people. If I educate people through a podcast, I can help millions. Like that's, uh, that's Jesus's mantra, man. Yeah. You, you feed a man a fish or teach a man to fish, right? Or like, feeder. The reality is, is that doing business development, doing effective business development costs money, takes time. There's no replacement for that time. Teaching people how to do their own business development also takes time, but has that infinite payoff that will help people for a lifetime as opposed to for a minute. Absolutely. No, I think, and I think that's the way, like, like I said, like bare bones philosophy and bare bones structure doesn't really change. Like the difference between a miner and a node don't change from year to year. And you can, you can really scale your efforts by, by creating value, long-term, long-lasting value. If I'm sat here saying like, <coughs> excuse me, if I'm sat here saying like, oh yeah, you know, this crypto coin, this NFT, this is the one, this is the way, like that's just, that's disingenuous. It's just not true. It's not proven. This podcast, everything I've said on this podcast is going to be relevant in five, 10, 15, and 20 years. The numbers are going to be a little bit different, but at the end of the day, everything we talked about today is going to remain relevant for like decades. And I think creating relevant educational content, especially timeless relevant educational content is, is the only way to, to add value. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And you know what I mean? You're very knowledgeable on the subject. I would say you're probably the most knowledgeable person in Canada on this subject at this moment in time. And uh, I appreciate that immensely. You know, Adam, I had one question that I wanted to ask you before we wrapped up today's show. And that was, if you could go back to the beginning and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? You know, right at the very beginning that you've learned in all this time? Yeah, it's the concept of time preference. Um, you know, early on, I was young, uh, went from like an honest living, but nothing extravagant to like, holy smokes, I'm rich <laughs> very quickly. And that was yeah. because the, of the rise of, of Bitcoin. Sure. And I spent a lot of unnecessary money um, that I probably didn't need to. And I think that concept of time preference can bleed into other areas of our life as well. So I wouldn't necessarily change the decisions I've made because I think, you know, the decisions I've made have in large part gotten me to, to where we are. Um, but probably, yeah, probably like that concept of time preference and understanding like a little bit of sacrifice early uh, for, for, for better results later. Finding, finding the balance, honestly, between, between reward and sacrifice is probably 
one of the greatest struggles that, you know, humans encounter. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's just an important thing to remember for everybody. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And you know, I mean, as humans, we always love the reward as quickly and often as we can have it. But most of the time, we don't get that without a pretty significant amount of sacrifice in the beginning. Right. The sacrifice usually comes before or after. And when it comes after, it's always a lot more painful. <laughs> agreed, agreed. <laughs> oh, man, this has been amazing, Adam. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it greatly. This has been episode 86 of the Business Development Podcast. If people want to buy from your ATMs or get a hold of Bitcoin well or get a hold of you, what's the best way to go about doing those things? Yeah, BitcoinWell.com has everything you need. It can get you an account, um, tell you where the ATMs are, whatever they may be. Um, follow me on Twitter, X, um, Adam O'Brien underscore on there and check out my YouTube channel. Same Adam O'Brien underscore. Um, yeah, just love educating, talking about Bitcoin. You can go to adamobrien.ca. Um, you can kind of reach me anywhere, uh, on those, on those channels and I'm, uh, yeah, kicking around and eager to engage. And your videos are awesome. And if nothing else, they're very entertaining to, to watch. You put a lot of effort into them and they're well done. So I think either way, definitely go check out Adam. This has been episode 86 of the Business Development Podcast. We had founder and CEO of Bitcoin Well, Adam O'Brien with us. We'll catch you on the flip side. This has been the Business Development Podcast with Kelly Kennedy. Kelly has 15 years in sales and business development experience within the Alberta oil and gas industry and founded his own business development firm in 2020. His passion and his specialization is in customer relationship generation and business development. The show is brought to you by Capital Business Development, your business development specialists. For more, we invite you to the website at www.capitalbd.ca. See you next time on the Business Development Podcast. Business Rockstars, we at the Business Development Podcast humbly invite you to be part of our journey. Despite our global reach spanning over 130 countries and our status as an award-winning show, we remain committed to delivering valuable insights and engaging content to our audience of decision makers. With two episodes released every single week and a back catalog of over 100 episodes, we strive to provide our listeners with the latest strategies and trends in business development and business growth. Why consider sponsoring us? Our listeners trust us to deliver authentic, informative content, making it an ideal platform for you to showcase your brand in a genuine and meaningful way. Choose from flexible sponsorship packages tailored to fit your advertising needs. With a back catalog of over 100 episodes and an average of eight new episodes released every single month, there are plenty of opportunities for you to connect with our audience. If you believe that your brand aligns with our humble mission, Reach out to us at podcast at capital bd.ca. Let's start a conversation and explore how we can collaborate to elevate your brand together. Thank you for considering us. Send us an email at podcast at capital bd.ca and let's partner for the future.